Ladies and gentlemen, Bobby Bowden, known for certainly to be the most charming guy you're going to meet today. He has coached championship teams. And think about this for a second. He's coached for seven decades. That's touching a lot of individuals' lives. And today, we have the opportunity to, to let him work in ours. And I'm very excited about it. Coach Bowden, one of the winningest coaches in major college football history. After serving as the head coach at South Georgia College, Howard College, and West Virginia University, Coach Bowden guided Florida State University to more than 300 victories, two national championships, 12 Atlantic Coast Conference titles, 14 straight top five finishes in the nation, while leading the Seminoles to bowl games in 28 consecutive seasons during his 34-year ten tenure. He is the patriarch of college football's most famous coaching family, and Coach Bowden remains heavily involved in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, annually awarding the National Bobby Bowden Award to a student-athlete for achievement on and off the field, including his conduct as a faith model in the community. Bowden has been inducted into the College uh, Football Hall of Fame in 2006, and among the many honors he has received, he is the recipient of the Paul Bear Bryant Lifetime Achievement Award in January 2011. Coach Bowden is a New York Times best-selling author with his recent book titled Called to Coach, and probably the stat that I think most people in this room are going to be excited about, I know I am, is he and his wife of 67 years years live in Tallahassee, Florida. And if you would turn your attention to the video screens for just a moment. If I had won all of my games in my years of coaching, I would have built absolutely no character. You cannot build character in my opinion, except through adversity. It's the same, you know. You've got to prepare. You've got to commit yourself. You've got to sacrifice. I felt like when I coached a young man, I had to be sure that he was the best athlete possible. I had, to, I had to be sure he graduated from college, and I wanted him to know about Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, 
It is a great honor for me to say, please welcome former head coach of the Florida State Seminoles, Mr. Bobby Bowden. Thank you. It's tough getting old. <laughs> Good to be back in Pensacola. When I, I was an assistant coach at Florida State in 1963, that was my first year, 63 as an assistant. And I, my recruiting era was Pensacola. And I had some great fond memories of being over in this area. It's really one of my favorite. West. Western uh, uh, Florida is my favorite part of Florida, you know. I'm going to fly back today, get my wife. We're going to drive over to Panama City, stay there for two or three days with our children, you know. So anyway, it's good to see you all, and it's good to be back. Uh, I uh, came to Florida State as a head football coach in 1976. Now, they had just gone 0-11, 1-10. Three and eight. So they lose their coach, you know. So I become the head football coach. But when I come to Florida State, I find out they're going to give me 10 complimentary tickets every game. The head football, you get 10 tickets. Now, you can't sell complimentary tickets, but you can give them away, you know. But they were for my family. Well, Ann and I had two of our children still – we had six children, you know, we had 21 grandchildren, seven great-grandchildren. But anyway, we had two children still living with us. So I'll go, I gave Ann two tickets because I couldn't go with her. Somebody's got to go with her. <laughs> then Robin and, uh, I mean, uh, Ginger and uh, Jeffrey, my two youngest, I gave them two tickets. Then I had a neighbor, I gave them two tickets. I had two tickets nobody wanted. I had two left over. I tried to give them to the janitor. Day before, hey, here's two game, here's two tickets to the game, baby. Fifty yard line. I ain't coming. <laughs> you know, and that's what I got. So I, day before the ball game on Friday, my barber was in the Tallahassee Mall. Y'all remember the Tallahassee Mall? Now that's where everybody came to Tallahassee to see a ball game. Everybody goes by the mall, you know, shops. So I got to go see my barber. So I take those two tickets. I pull up right in front of the main door. And I get those two tickets, and I put them on the windshield of my car, right under that little old wiper. <laughs> I said, Somebody will get them tickets. You know, I'll go in and get a haircut, and at least I'll have them two guys there. You know, I go in and get a haircut. It lasts about an hour. I come out, six tickets on my windshield. <laughs> That's how bad it was. That's how bad it was. You know, old Clay, old Clay was one of my centers. He was one of my centers. We went out and we played uh, Nebraska. Clay had a pretty good ball game. We won. He's feeling pretty good about himself. We're flying back to Tallahassee. Everybody's happy. No Clay's happy, feeling pretty good. You know, he whipped that nose guard they had. And uh, so the stewardess comes down the aisle, and she says, uh, hey, son, put your seatbelt on. 
He said, hey, Santa, a Superman don't need no dead gum seat belt, you know. She said, look, Superman don't need an airplane. <laughs> yeah. But you know, uh, football, is football important in college? Is football important in college? I'll remember my president, Bernard Sliger, was one of the first, well, he's the first president I had at Florida State. He served for about 17 years, then he retired and passed away. But he was one of my favorite. He, he knew what it took to win, you know. And, and, uh, and, and, and so he made this statement. He and I were at a booster, Seminole booster banquet. Wasn't here, I think it was down in the southern part of the state. And he told our boosters and our alumni this of how important football was to Florida State. He was talking about in 1975, before I came to Florida State, uh, you know, they were what? You know, they didn't win any dadgum games. Florida State, you know, went 11, you know, 1 in 10, like I mentioned a while ago. And, and they even thought about dropping football, you know. And uh, so uh, uh, it, it was very evident when I came there, you know, of uh, uh, of how important it was going to be for us to win, win some ball games at Florida State. Well, my first year there, we went five and six. We had a losing year. That was the last one we had, by the way. But we had a losing year. And then the next year, we did good. But four years later, we went undefeated. Now, previous to that, that first year I came, we couldn't fill up our dorms. We couldn't fill up our openings. Every year we had about 2,500 freshmen. We spaces for 2,500 freshmen. We, we couldn't even feel that all over the nation. You know what? And, uh, uh, and like I say, we couldn't fill up our dorms. And you've got to do that now if you're going to pay your bills. Four years later, undefeated, national television about three times, Went to a major bowl and for the first time, you know, became nationally ranked for the first time. Beat Florida for the first time in 10 years. You know how that is, boy. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, but, but that year, if we had 25 openings, we had, we had 5,000 applicants. So what does that mean? Well, if we got 5,000 applicants, we, we can't have but 25 under. Let's get the best ones. Let's get the best grades. Let's get the A students. Let's get the B students. Let's they ain't gonna worry about them C's, which would have left me out, by the way. <laughs> and uh, and and uh, and that's what Florida State did. You you build up your ap academic program and everything else, you know. So do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, football plays a role, not just football, but to com competitive sports. If I was a president of a college. Uh, college, first thing I'd do, I'd get a football team. I guarantee you. We'd get students. Students want to go where there's a ball club. You know, like I said, it could be basketball, baseball, anything else. Football just happens to be the biggest and the biggest money. So anyway, that's something I learned very early in my career. You know, we're all looking for leadership. I know y'all are real. This is really a... a, 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 a this is where you find your leaders in an organization like this, you know, very obvious. And you and I see a whole lot of leaders here today at this that I have met here today. But when you go back and look at leaders, I've, I've studied that because I speak on it a lot. Now I've been retired now for six years. What did I do? I, I speak. I'm a member of about 
two or three national speaking organizations. They they need a speaker. They might call me. They might not. You know. And a lot of times they want me to talk on motivation or talk on leadership. And so I have studied it. I've tried to study who the leaders are and why they are leaders. And uh, I've reached the same conclusion I think that most people reach, that, that uh, leaders are not born. They're not born. They're made. They're made. You know, there's a way to become a leader. Some men some and ladies want to be leaders, and they prepare themselves. And if they do, they can. They can become leaders, you know. Now, I noticed that so, so there are several common traits that all the great leaders have. Now, there's a lot of traits. There's a lot of virtues in being a leader, you know. You can, we can name 25 or 30, you know. But there were three that stood out, you know. One is all the great leaders were men of integrity. Men of integrity. You know, you cannot lead and be a liar. And don't forget that when we vote this year. <laughs> but you can't. But you can, I didn't call no name. I don't know why I bought that up. Dad, come in. I just talked about that. Let's drop that one, okay? Let's, let's drop integrity, all right? Uh, but then, then the other thing, they were, you, you had to be men of, uh, men who love, love people. Men or ladies who love people. You know what? That's a great virtue of a, of a leader. Uh, and, and, and that's the way you, you look at all the great leaders that we've had in this country. They were all men and women who had a great love for other people, not just the people above them. You ever worked for a guy that loved people above him, but he treated the people under him like dog? I had that privilege one time. I didn't, I didn't enjoy that whatsoever. You know, and, uh, but the great leaders, they're not, not that way. You know, they, they love everybody. And that's a trait that you, you want to have. Then another thing that all the great leaders had, they were men of con uh, had courage of their conviction, or ladies with courage of their conviction. In other words, whatever they believed, they're going to stay right behind it. You can't change their mind. They're not going to bend for you or anybody else, you know, because this is what I believe. And so um, keep your eyes on that as you're going. You, you know, you've all heard the expression, he, he doesn't have it. She don't have it. I remember I learned that lesson. I signed a, when I was at West Virginia, I signed a big old tackle out of Bethesda, Maryland. His daddy had been a pro. And uh, he, he, was, he was a big boy, about six foot five, about 265. Now, back then, that was big because this was around 1970. That was big. That ain't, that ain't big no more. <laughs> no, if you can't, if you don't weigh three hundred, you ain't gonna. That guy crossways three. You better have better weigh your three yourself. Think you're gonna block it? You know. So anyway, but so this kid was a high school all American. Everybody wanted him, and we got him to come to West Virginia University. And when he did, I said to myself, Bobby, you have got an all American. This guy will be an all American his first year. And so he he came to fly well. Couldn't be his first year because back in those days, freshmen couldn't play on the varsity. They had to play on the freshman team. So then his sophomore year, oh, he'll be an All-American his sophomore year. You know, I'd always sit him at the front of the bus. I wanted him to be the first one to get off. I wanted everybody to see that big old monster getting off that bus. You know, 
And uh, and uh, so anyway, we go. We play our first ball game. He starts. We win. I look at the film. He don't look too dadgum good. Then we play another ball game. We win it. We're two and zero. But I look at him in the film. He man, he he's awful. I demoted him. I put him on a dadgum second team. We had a little old tackle that weighed about two hundred and ten pounds that had a heart about that big. I put him ahead of him. You know what? And he never could beat him out. Next year. Same thing happened. He was second team, this big guy. He was getting bigger and stronger and faster, but he couldn't beat out that little guy, you know? And so, anyway, he goes into his last year, and I've already, we, we, we already decided he, he, he ain't going to start, you know? And uh, back in those days, in spring training, you would have about 25 days to practice. All the professional teams would bring a scout to your school and study your seniors because they're going to draft and they're going to they're be successful by how, how well they draft, you know. So they want to come in and look at your boys. So the pro would come by the school, and I'm the head football coach. He'd come in my office. Coach, have you got any seniors I need to look at today? Yeah, yeah, I've got a couple. Here's a list. Here's a boy you need to look at. Here's a boy you need to look at. Here's one that might be good enough, you know. And so I'd give him that list with their numbers. Now, he'd go out on the field that afternoon and watch those boys and see if he thought they had potential to play for his ball club, which would determine whether they'd go and draft him and in what round, you know. So just picture that afternoon at practice. I'm the head coach, and I'm standing on the field doing nothing like head coaches do, you know. <laughs> So the scout, the scout comes by, and he's standing right there by me. Well, our tackles were down there working in drills, and they had to get up here to get on the sled. So they came running right down in front of us. Well, this pro scout sees that big old guy, you know. Coach, who is that? Who is that? I said, that's so-and-so. Is his, name, is his name on here? No, his name's not on there. Oh, he must be a young, youngster then. He's not a senior. Yeah, he's a senior. A senior? How tall is he? Oh, he's, he's about 6'6 six, six now, you know. Well, how much does he weigh? Oh, about 275. Can he run? He runs a 5 flat 40. A 5 flat 40? That's exactly what we're looking for, man. You know what? Why isn't his name on there? What did I tell him? He ain't got it. You don't have it. That it is the heart. That it is the heart. I was interested in Florida State, that boys who had heart. Do you realize everything you do starts with your heart? you ever realize that? You don't just do something because you decide to do it. You're led to do it. it. It starts with a thought, a hidden thought down in your heart, you know. Then that thought becomes words. Those words become action. Then the action becomes habits. People know you by your habits. And your habits become your character. And your character determines where you're going to spend what? Eternity. You know. It's the heart. Now, you know how many times you heard your coach say, girls or boys, well, girls are just as bad as involved in athletics now and competitive sports as men are. How many times have you heard your coach say, we won today because we had more heart? We got beat today. They had more heart than we did. 
Well, we're talking about a young man. Oh, man, he got more physical tools than anybody ever had, but he, don't, he just don't have any art. Or he, or he don't have any tools. He's not very good. But, boy, he's got a great heart. That's the guy I want, boy. You know what? That's the guy you can coach. And, uh, but, again, it goes right back to, to right here. Everything you do, everything you say. Do y'all ever read Proverbs? You ever read Proverbs? Now, you read all the books you can find about leadership you want to. You read all the books you want to about motivation. Nothing can beat Proverbs. It's what, what is it, 2,500 years ago it was written? I'm not even sure, but it's probably about 2,500 years ago by the wisest man who ever lived. Now, they say he's the wisest man. Y'all read about that guy? 700 wise? <laughs> you call that wise? <laughs> I got one I can't handle. <laughs> but anyway, but anyway, anyway, but, uh, but anyway, he, he wrote Proverbs. And, uh, but if you want to, that is, if you want to know how to raise your son, read Proverbs. Ladies, if you want to know how to raise a family, read Proverbs. You know, you want to, you want to, you just want to know how to live, to do what's right. You know, read Proverbs. I believe it's harder to follow Proverbs than it is the Ten Commandments. I do. I think it's tougher. You know what? But if you want to be a success, it's. I'm. I'm just saying it's a. It's a good. Good book to read, and usually don't cost nothing. You know. <laughs> yeah, that went up on your shelf up there. So got got all that dust on it. Get that thing out, man. Right over in the Old Testament. But anyway, but but so I'm, I'm going to finish with this story. I've, I've, I've given this talk a million times. Uh, my favorite proverb, and I've spoken on it many times, is Proverbs 4.23. Look at it when you get a chance. Proverbs 4.23. And here's what it says. It says, keep your heart with all diligence because out of it, come the issues of life. Any big issue you're faced with comes right out of here, baby. Right here, see? And like I say, you hear coaches talk about heart and this and that. They're not talking about a muscle that pumps blood. They're talking about your will. I will do it. I will not do it. You decide that. You determine that. Your heart is your will, it's your emotion, it's your mind all combined together, you know. And uh, so, so keep it diligently. Keep the hate out of it. You might kill somebody. Keep the lust out of it. You might hurt someone, you know. Keep the greed out of it. You might steal something, you know. Keep it diligently. Well, what a, what a proverb that is. You know, every Saturday you have upsets in football. Other sports too, but I'm not, I'm I'm football. That's what I coach. You know, <laughs> I'm dumb about everything else, but I know football. I think. But anyway, but but anyway, what take was I fixing to say? Uh, <laughs> uh, about uh, keeping your heart diligently, and and uh, athletics the same. Every Saturday, there's an upset. Now, you go back in the history of college football, all the way back to the 1800s, 
when it started. Uh, one of the biggest upset ever recorded was 1939, you know, right when you were born, you know, 1939. Uh, the coach at the University of Illinois spoke at Florida State University when I was coaching up in Georgia. And I went down to the coaching clinic and heard him tell the story I'm fixing to tell you. So I'm telling it to you secondhand from the guy who had it happen to him. His name was Coach Elliott. He said that Illinois, that team he coached in 39, was the worst team he ever had. We couldn't beat nobody. They opened up the season. They tied uh, Peoria. Y'all all familiar with Peoria, aren't you? You know? I mean, they, they were supposed to beat Peoria 50 points. They tied nothing, nothing. <laughs> then they played the next week, got beat again. Played the next week, got beat again. They didn't even score a dadgum touchdown. And the next week, they're going to play Michigan. 1938, who was number one in the nation? Michigan. Who was the national championships the year before? Michigan. Who was on an 18-game winning streak? Michigan. And this Illinois team is fixing to play Michigan, and they're going to get killed. This is what Coach Elliott was telling us, you know. He said, man, we went out to practice that week and that Monday, and their captain, the captain of Illinois, was Mel Brewer. Now, I spoke up in Carbondale, Illinois, about five or six years ago, and I told this story, and they reminded me, hey, that's where he's from. This is where he's from, you know. But anyway, their captain was Mel Brewer. His mama died. His mama died. He got to go home. So they sent him home. Coach said, we went to practice. That was the worst week of practice I ever had. Brewer's only thing close I had to leadership. He'd gone. So we practiced, and we just went through the motions. Friday before the ball game, Illinois did what we all do, all football teams that I know do. We did it at Florida State. I'm sure Florida, Miami, and Georgia, and Tech, Alabama, and all them do the same. Take your team out of town. Now, I don't mean up to out to California. I'm talking about just take them about five or six miles out of town and stay at a motel. We did that. Why do you do that? To get your boys away from their girls. <laughs> well, sure. Or get your boys away from their parents. Parents were them, anybody. They want tickets. They brought Aunt Martha and her seven kids. You know, I need tickets, you know. So you take, you take your team out of town to get away from everybody, you know. So picture Illinois now. They had gone out of town, and they were staying in another motel, and their boys were sitting right there like y'all are. Their team's right there, and the head coach is up here. It's the night before the game. Now he's going over tomorrow's game plan on the blackboard. Does anybody in here know what a blackboard is? <laughs> the kids nowadays don't. They ain't got any idea what a blackboard is. You know. But anyway, he was going over on a blackboard, the game plan for tomorrow. Now, his team's out there sitting out there, just got through eating. They're bored to death. They know they're going to get killed tomorrow, you know. And uh, as, as they're sitting there, the, the back door opens. Now, the room's about a, a quarter of the size of this. So when that door opens right there, everybody hears it. Nobody turns around. Who is it? Who dares to stick their head in there when they're trying to have a formal meeting? It's Mel Brewer. He came back. He stuck his head in the door. He said, Coach, before y'all say anything, let me say something. 
I want to say this. I want to thank y'all for those beautiful flowers you sent my mama. I want to thank you for those telephone calls. I want to thank you for the letters that you sent. And I want you to know if you think I came back up here to get beat tomorrow, you're crazy. Coach said you could have heard a pin drop. Coach said you could see a change in every boy. It didn't look like the same boys. They had a different glint to their eye. They, they had a different jut to their jaw. You know, they just looked different. He said, normally I have to tell them at 9 o'clock, hey, man, get up and go to your room. So I didn't tell them nothing. Just one by one, they got up and went to their room. Coach said, before I went to bed, I always went by and checked. Be sure, be sure everybody's okay. I go by their rooms. He said, when I went by the rooms, they wasn't asleep. They were staring at the ceiling or staring at the floor. But they were different. Now, here's a question. Is this Illinois team that lost all them games? Is that the same team that beat the best football team in the country? Illinois, uh, my, uh, University of Michigan, which, the, which they did the next day. They upset that Michigan team. You know what? Is that the same team? Well, it, hey, same uniforms. Same muscles, same eyes and same ears and same shoes and socks. But they're not the same team. Why? Because the issues of life come from where? The heart. Good to see all y'all.